Well, there has been a, a little bit of excitement in the Zier house over the past week or so because the college basketball season has officially begun. And, and while our house is definitely more of a baseball house than a basketball house, uh, I think this particular season will be a, it'll prove to be a fun one for us for a couple of reasons, I believe. Uh, first, the University of Illinois is supposed to have as good of a team as they've had in the last 10 or, or 15 years. And, and so that uh, is, I think, quite exciting. And then second, uh, Levi is, is at that age where I can see him really getting into rooting for a good Illini team. So my hope is that, is that he and I will have some quality bonding uh, uh, during these next few months over some fighting Illini basketball. And I know it's early December and, and the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament are still over three months away, so I ought to temper my, my excitement just a bit. You know, a person could even argue that, that those two tournaments are, are, the ga are, are the games that really matter in, in the grand scheme of things. If Illinois had a fabulous win-loss record, but then they didn't do well in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, the season would probably end up being just a minor point in the history of the program. So the argument could be made that it's not really worth watching the team until we get to those tournaments in March. But I'm the type of sports fan that, that finds so much more enjoyment when I've taken the journey with a team, and when I say with, I mean from my couch, of course, but, but taken a journey with the team to get to those important games. And this would be true of any sports team that I, that I follow, but, but I so enjoy the, the ups and the downs of the journey through the season. I enjoy getting to know uh, the tendencies of the different players. I enjoy seeing the team rally together to overcome the adversity that, that will inevitably afflict every team at some point along the way. There's just something about knowing that backstory and the details of the journey that, that for me at least, makes those final tournaments that much more exciting. There's a depth and an appreciation of the story that, that you can't find simply by waiting until the month of March to tune in. Well, this morning we are, we are continuing our Christmas singing sermon series. Last week we dwelled upon Mary's Magnificat from Luke chapter 1. Today's song comes from Luke 1 as well. But today's song is sung not by Mary, but by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Now, to give you fair warning, we aren't going to get to Zechariah's song until the very end of our time today. And that is because, much like what I just shared with you regarding sports teams, I want to take you on a, a journey prior to the arrival at Zechariah's song. There's a backstory filled with all kinds of, of wonderful details that adds depth and appreciation to Zechariah's song. And so we could just skip over much of that and, and still take things away from the text that we will read from the song that Zechariah sings, but, but it's going to be so much better to take that full journey together. 
So that's what we're going to do. With that being said, we, we need to begin our journey by taking in some of the notable high points and low points of Israel's history. And we're not going to go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, but we are going pretty far back to the beginning of the Hebrew people. In Genesis chapter 12, we meet a man named Abram. Uh, his name would later be changed to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God called out to Abraham and told him he ought to leave his country, leave his family, leave his father's household, and, and, and just go. God didn't tell him where to go, just that he'd let Abram know when he got there. Just go. And in response to Abram's obedience, God promised to make him into a great nation through whom all people on earth would be blessed. Well, Abram decided to obey God and went. And after a number of years, a few bumps along the way, God again affirmed his promise to Abram. In Genesis chapter 15, God told Abram that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. And even though Abram had no son at that point, God promised to provide an heir. Well, after a number of more years and, and a few more bumps along the way, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son, Isaac. And it's in Genesis chapter 22 where God tests Abraham by calling him to take his son Isaac up onto the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. Was Abraham willing to completely trust God? Was there anything which Abraham valued more than God himself? Well, those were the things being tested in this situation. And, and so you probably know how the story goes. Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain. Isaac found out at the top that he was going to be the sacrifice. Abraham bound Isaac, laid him on the altar. And at the final moment, God spoke to Abram and told him not to harm his son. Abraham looked up and, and God had provided a ram caught in the bush to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. And we maybe don't always remember this next part of the story, but God actually spoke to Abraham a second time on that mountain. And it's in this second statement that we're going to turn our attention right now. This is what God said to Abram in, for the second time in Genesis chapter 22. In verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now the passages from the Old Testament that, that I'm going to highlight on this journey, I've chosen for a reason. Each one of these passages will connect directly with Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. So, so from what I just read, we need to keep these two things in mind. First, God swore by himself 
an oath to Abraham. That's something that God only does once in scripture, and it's right here. God swore by himself. And then the second thing is that God promised victory over the enemies of his chosen people. So keep those two things in mind, log those away, they'll, they'll come back into play in a little bit. So this is a high point in the history of Israel. It's a high point with which the Jews would have been well familiar. But as is common with sports teams and, and maybe even in other situations in life, the highs are sometimes followed with lows. And as Israel's story unfolds further, we arrive at the book of Exodus. At the beginning of Exodus, God's people are enslaved in Egypt and have been so for 400 years. It's a very dark chapter in Israel's history where they suffered under oppression for a long time. However, the story continued and God called out to a Jew who had escaped from Egypt named Moses. He powerfully spoke to Moses in the burning bush and called him to participate with God in setting his people free from the oppressive Egyptians. It took a little bit of convincing. Uh, Moses had plenty of excuses why he wasn't the guy for the job. But eventually Moses submitted to God's calling. And as Moses prepared to go back to Egypt and share the good news with his fellow Jews that were still in slavery, his brother Aaron met him on the mountain. And so this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed, and here's what we really need to hang on to this, for this passage. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So the Jews had been oppressed for a very long time, but God not only saw their affliction, he also came and visited them. God went to his people who were oppressed. That's the testimony of the, the Jews here. So as the story unfolds, then God set them free from their oppressors. They were set free from Egypt. God went before them, took them to the land that he had promised them, and he powerfully fought for them and drove out the occupants of that land. And once that had been taken care of, God established his people in the land by giving them a king whom he promised would reign over Israel forever. And these are the words that he spoke to that king, that would be King David. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 10. God says to David, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house 
When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God would give his people rest from their enemies and he would do it through his appointed king. And, and this kingdom and kingship would be so secure that it would reign forever. What another incredible high point in the history of God's people. But, as you might guess, the incredible high point is followed by an incredible low point. You'd think that God's people would have seen all the works that he performed and remain faithful to him, but they didn't. They were led astray by the nations around them. They began to worship idols and false gods. And after many warnings on God's part, he finally sent the Assyrians and then the Babylonians to remove his people from the land and take them into exile. The city of Jerusalem was burned. The temple within the city was burned. It might have seemed as if all had been lost, but it hadn't. God continued to work. He eventually brought his people back from exile. The temple was rebuilt. Not as grand as the original temple, but it was rebuilt nonetheless. But even in the midst of this return to the land, God's people were still very weak compared to the other nations on earth. The Medes and the Persians had risen to power and controlled Israel at that point. After them, uh, the world would be conquered by Alexander the Great, and Greece would take over. After them, Rome would rise to power and exercise its might across the world. But in the midst of all of these conquering empires who, who imposed their will upon God's people, God spoke a message of hope through one of their prophets. And this message wasn't just through any prophet, but through the very last prophet recorded in the Hebrew Old Testament. This is the message that God spoke through Malachi to his people who had returned to the land but still faced great opposition. This is the message, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, and we need to hang on to that phrase, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And here we really need to catch this part. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a, de with a decree of utter destruction. This was the last message spoken by God through his Old Testament prophets. Chronologically, Malachi was the last prophet. So this message was given some 400 years before Zechariah's time. Those 400 years in between the Old and New Testament are, are sometimes called the silent period by Bible scholars. For 400 years, God seemed silent. 
For 400 years, God's people waited, in a sense, hanging on to this last prophecy. They, they, they held fast to it, this promise which had been given to them. They hung on to it for 400 years, and then it was time. Nobody knew it yet, but it was time. So we come to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest from the tribe of Levi. The priests at that time took turns carrying out temple duties. One of those duties was burning incense on the altar in front of the most holy place, the, the, the most sacred part of the temple. That specific duty was assigned by lot, and so it wasn't unusual for a priest to never be chosen for that duty in his lifetime. But Zechariah was about to be chosen, and it was going to be an experience unlike any he could have imagined. So I would encourage you to follow along with me here in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. And again, this is talking about Zechariah. Verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. What a great day for Zechariah. He was chosen for this most important job. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's uncommon. That does not happen normally or perhaps ever when a priest had gone in to carry out this duty. But it happened this time. Verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Where have we heard that before? The spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Where have we heard that before? And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Remember, 400 years ago, that prophecy had been given through Malachi that the day would come, and when that day came, it would be announced by this Elijah-type figure, and he would go out, and he would turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children. And wouldn't you know it, Zechariah walks into the temple to carry out his duty, and an angel appears to him and says, not only are you guys going to have a son, but he's that guy. He is this Elijah figure. Wow. In other words, it's time. It's time. It's been 400 years, but it's time. How does Zechariah respond? <laughs> Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, Zechariah is saying, I, Are you sure? I don't know. Like, how, really? 
Verse 19, the angel answered him. Just try to picture this. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now we got to stop right there. Picture that. Zechariah has just received the message that God's people have been waiting for for 400 years. He questions it, and Gabriel says, all right, you can't talk. Zechariah has received the message that everybody in Israel would want to know, and he can't even tell them. <laughs> he can't talk. I mean, the irony of it. Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. <laughs> I picture that. Zechariah comes out. He has received the message that everybody's been waiting for, but he can't tell anybody. And so he starts this game of charades to try and get the message across, and it doesn't work. And so finally, finally his, his time of service is done, and he goes home. <laughs> he has just received the message of all messages, and he can't tell anybody. Wow, I mean, how frustrating must that be? And they even understand that something happened in there. Something out of the ordinary took place, but they don't know what it is because Zechariah can't tell them. I mean, this is incredible. Well, the story continues. Uh, what we talked about last week takes place. Gabriel speaks to Mary, um, and then uh, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and then uh, just before Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was to be born, Mary went back home. And so then the big day arrived for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so we pick up the story again in Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now, when the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, still can't speak. Zechariah is still sitting on this message nine months later. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And I think what he spoke is what we are going to read shortly, Zechariah's song. He spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So finally, finally, Zechariah is able to speak again. I mean, this incredible message that has been bound up inside of him for nine months is released. Now that John has been born and Zechariah's tongue has been loosened, it's time to declare the wonderful news of God's long-awaited activity. And so we get to his message here, verse 67. Follow with me. 
And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And here he shifts from talking about Jesus. Now he's going to talk about John, his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. There's that phrase from Malachi. The sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is such a wonderful song that Zechariah sings. He proclaims the fulfillment of the hope of God's people. Just as God had visited his oppressed people in Egypt, God was visiting his oppressed people again. Just as God powerfully delivered his people from their enemies through King David, so God is raising up a horn of salvation again. And, and that phrase, horn of salvation, that speaks of power and of might. The, the, the power and might of an animal was in its horns. Think about rams. Mighty is the one being raised up. And then again, just as God promised to deliver Abraham's descendants from their enemies, so he reiterates that promise again. And just as God had promised to Malachi to send forth his prophet in the likeness of Elijah to announce all these things, John, later known as John the Baptist, would be that prophet. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He would make ready the way for the Lord. I don't know how Zechariah kept this to himself for nine months. I mean, I know how he did it. He couldn't talk. That's how he did it. But, but I don't know. I mean, how does he contain himself for nine months knowing that this is all unfolding? Man, it's like, you know, you and I know what it's like when we've got something exciting to share. It's all we can do not to blurt it out to everyone we see. Well, well, once Zechariah is finally able to speak again, he proclaimed the message loud and clear. The time of darkness was coming to an end. The sunrise was coming. God promised in Malachi chapter 4 that the sun of righteousness would rise. Zechariah prophesied that that, that that time had come. The night was over. For those sitting in darkness, for those in the shadow of death, the sunrise was about to visit them from on high. Now, now to be sure, the sunrise was going to look a little different than they might have envisioned. Zechariah's song starts with phrases like redemption and horn of salvation and, and being delivered from enemies. And those things are all true. They're, they're true. But his song ends with phrases like forgiveness of sins and tender mercy 
and the way of peace. It's kind of this early hint that the long-awaited Messiah wasn't going to do quite what the people probably expected him to do. He came to do so much more than defeat the oppressors of that time, the Romans. He came to defeat the real oppressive enemy, Satan, sin, death. And this is something that the people would discover as, as Jesus' identity is later made known and his ministry unfolds. Some people would accept this unexpected Messiah. Others would reject him. But for all those who were lost in darkness, the sunrise was about to take place. And in order to proclaim this promise, John, this Elijah figure, was going on ahead of Jesus to make the good news known. And it's kind of interesting, you know, when Zechariah speaks of Jesus in the beginning of his song, he uses the phrase horn of salvation in verse 69, right? The power of salvation. When he speaks of his own son, John, at the end of his song, he uses the phrase giving knowledge of salvation in verse 77. Jesus is the one bringing the power of salvation. John is the one making known the knowledge of the power of salvation. And perhaps there's maybe a good challenge in there for us to remember that, that Jesus is the power of salvation. That lies in God and God alone. We would be similar to John in our calling to make the knowledge of that salvation known to all. But back to the darkness, and this is what I want to end with. It may seem to you that you are in a time of darkness right now. Many of us might look back on 2020 and, and see it as a year of darkness. Perhaps that's because of different circumstances you've had to endure. Perhaps it's because you've yet to experience that power of salvation in Jesus and, and you feel overcome by the darkness of sin in your life. But whatever the reason, for those sitting in darkness today, those in the shadow of death today, the sunrise has come from on high. The sunrise has come. God has not forgotten about any of us in our affliction. In the power of his salvation, he has visited us. He offers us forgiveness of sin. He guides our feet into the way of peace. And we'll really get into that next week, talking about peace. I'm so glad Zechariah was finally able to proclaim this message of hope to the people. I'm so glad also that this message of hope is still applicable today. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He is here to turn the darkness in your life into light. The sunrise from on high has come. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for that this morning. This, this wonderful message from Zechariah that was wonderful nearly 2,000 years ago is still so today. 
God, we thank you that you came from on high, that you became human, that what you promised to do, you did. You came and you bring with you forgiveness of sins. You come in the power of salvation. You are here to bring us light. And we're so thankful for that, God. It seems like there's been so much darkness lately. But in the midst of that, God, would you remind us, would you empower us to hang on to you and to your promise that remains just as firm today as it was then? And we know that in this Advent season, we celebrate this 2,000 years ago coming, where the sunrise came 2,000 years ago, and you lived your life, and you offered that life on the cross for us. But God, while we look back on that event, we also look ahead to your second coming. The, the sunrise is coming again, and we so look forward to that, God. We hang on to that. That is our hope. And we praise you that we can have that kind of hope. God, again, would you remind us of that? Bring that to mind time and time again. Help us to rest in you. God, may, we, may our feet walk in the way of peace because of you. We give you praise this morning. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for your love for us that drove you to make these promises and carry them out in our lives. We thank you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.